0: Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Dominic Grace. I'm Eric Hoffman. And we are discussing, we're continuing, I should say, our Kurosawa cast with a look yeah. of uh, two companion films, Yojimbo and Sanjuro. Again, two classics. Uh, a bit different from from Kurosawa's usually, usual output. These are more a little lighter, I think, a little more fun. Yeah, they're both comedies. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know why I could say they're just comedies. <laughs> Go on with that, please, Dom. Well, I mean, that might
1: seem counterintuitive in a way. I mean, you know, one of the first things we see in Yojimbo is a dog burning down the street with a hand in its mouth, which is a you know very powerful and grotesque image, especially for 1961. And I remember the first time I saw this movie, I'm thinking, did I just see what I just saw? Um, but I mean, they're, they're very much comic movies. I mean, I think Yojimbo perhaps even more so than Sanjura, I mean, literally right down to the, uh, the, 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 comic cliche of the supposed death and resurrection of the hero, right? Like Yojimbo getting carried out, Sanjura getting carried out in the coffin and taken to the cemetery and then like rising out of the coffin, out of the dead. It's like a standard, you know, comedy thing, you know, bringing the dead back to life. Um, but I mean, obviously it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an action movie too, but it's, it's a really funny movie. Um, and the same is true of Sanjuro. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a different kind of humor. I think uh, Yojimbo is, is much more black, uh, okay. black comedy um, than Sanjuro is. Sanjuro is more, I think, satirical, but um, they're both, not that, not that Kurosawa can't be witty in his other films, obviously. But they're they're much more overtly comic, I think, in
0: in in design and intent. And a lot of that comes from Mifune and his just awesome performance. Oh yeah, I mean, we talked we talk about when we talk Seven Samurai, how like his physical presence is overwhelming. The little tiny ticks he has he Mm. has seems so big, right? Just a little bit about him keeping his hand inside his tunic, for example. Yep, just has so much like going on in it. His little You're facial there. expressions, his grimaces, the look on his face when he sees the dog running past with a hand in oh, yeah. its mouth. It's like, yeah. whoa, you know, what What did I just get myself into? It's
1: a hitching of the shoulders.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's always scratching himself, too. Like, he's got yeah. a bad case of fleas.
1: Yeah, he's... Uh, he's the whole package, Mifune, I think. I mean, he is... First of all, he's an amazing physical actor. Um uh, you know, even, even Jason, the things you're talking about, but the, the sword play uh, is stunning. It's, it's so fast um, and it's, it's, it's him really doing it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's no body doubles. There's no, there's no swords expert coming in and replacing them. And a lot of them, those sequences are done in, in, in continuous takes, right? Uh, and they're, they're clearly very carefully choreographed but he's doing all those moves and they're fast and they're precise. Um, That level of physicality uh, is is impressive, but he's also, uh, he's also extremely good emotive actor. Right. And that's, that's a, that's an interesting combination. I mean, you know, your typical action hero actor isn't someone that you think of as capable typically, I think of expressing emotional complexity. I mean, you know, a is is obviously the prototype for the Man with No Name and the Spaghetti Westerns, right? And you know, no 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 disrespect to Clint Eastwood intended here, but there is so much more going on inside of Mifune's character that comes out through his eyes and his facial expressions um, than you ever get the impression is going on inside of uh, the Man with No Name in 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 the in the Dollars trilogy. To my to my way of thinking.
2: He mentioned his technical skill as a swordsman. And uh, I found this interesting little tidbit that his sword fighting in *Sanjuro* the sequel, uh, I, it says, was used as an extensive illustrated example of samurai virtuosity with his sword in a kendo manual that was published in English.
0: Wow. Huh.
2: <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, he, he definitely put his all into this. Uh, into his uh, swordsmanship he must have been well trained by you know uh, swordsman I'm sure
1: yeah he certainly looks like he knows what he's doing and Eric that if, if they actually used sequences from the film of him doing it then that suggests
0: he's doing it accurately yeah the director's not the director's commentary but the commentary on Criterion Channel talks about how he was trained by a oh yeah. a master. Mm-hmm and how each of the strokes they go, he, the commentator actually goes through each of the strokes. He's doing this stroke and then this stroke and then this particular stroke. So he's actually slashing in exactly the way that um, you would be doing it, which, which just makes it both more exciting and more terrifying at the same time though, right? Because you know he's able to slash up nine guys in a, in a courtyard in the space of 15 seconds, which is just terrifying.
1: Yeah, that's one of the, and one of the things that I find makes it even more impressive is that Kurosawa tends to do those things in single continuous takes. There's there's, there's moments of cuts, but we don't get, you know, the, the, the standard action movie thing these days is, you know, you get um, an action sequence and it's, it, the, the the excitement is created through a highly you know, a, a bunch of sh- really, really short scenes with, 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 with intense cuts, cut, 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 cut. Um, You can watch these sequences and they might only be, as you say, 15 or 20 seconds long uh, as, he, as he kills like nine guys or whatever, but it's a single continuous take with, you know, all of the actors moving and sometimes the camera moving. Um, it's, 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 it is virtuoso filmmaking. It's not just, I mean, obviously, Mithuna is a huge part of it, but it's virtuoso filmmaking. And speaks to Kurosawa's absolute command of everything that's happening um, on the screen, Uh, in terms of the composition, in terms of movement of the camera, in terms of the movement of the actors. um, You rarely see in these sequences something that I notice a lot. You you have these these fight sequences where you have like, you know, the one guy up against a whole army, right? And very frequently what you see when you're watching those in films is the actors waiting for their turn to move. right? It never seems like that with Kurosawa. It always looks like everyone is, uh, is actually engaged in, 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 in the action that it's not just, okay, you know, uh, it's so unbelievable in a lot of those other films because you think this guy'd be taken down in four seconds because these other guys, they're just standing here doing nothing waiting for him to turn in their direction, right? It's not like that with Kurosawa. Everything is A, so fast, but B, all of the actors have things to do. It seems to me that you never get that impression of it being despite being very carefully choreographed of it being artificial. It, it, it reads um, as highly kinetic, highly um, chaotic action. But part of the reason that it reads that way is because it's so meticulously planned that everyone is moving at exactly the right time and in exactly the right way. I think especially that sequence um, at the beginning of Sanjuro, where he comes out and confronts like literally the army. Right. right, and he, he goes through them. It doesn't doesn't even unsheathe his sword. Right, <laughs> just brilliant, you know.
2: And that not not uh, not unsheathing his sword. Uh, uh, that is picked up later in yeah. Sanjuro, where the uh, where they're in the um, what is it like? They're in a hayloft or a barn, oh, yeah. hiding right. out. And that woman, the older woman, says, "Uh, you know, killing is a bad habit." I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the best <laughs> sword is the sword that stays unsheathed. You're like and, a,
2: and, and you're I'm, like a, you're like a sharp uh, sword. You know, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you uh, like your heart is steel. You know, naked and sharp. But,
1: yeah.
2: but the the sharpest sword is the sword that remains sheathed. Such great line.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 part of what I think is 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 good about it is that it's it's it's. it's part of how the film is actually making a a, a philosophical statement as well as just being an action film. But that line, killing people is a bad habit. You know, that's why it's a comedy, right? (laughs) If you have this character say stuff like that, Um, or the, the, the the captured guard. I love that scene where they come back and the captured guard is sitting there in the nice kimono and having a meal. And they're like, what are you doing out? And he says, well, the old lady let me out. Um, And, she so obviously like didn't think that I would escape that I couldn't. <laughs> I stand here and he goes back
0: in the closet. And by the way, I'm going back yeah. into the closet. Yeah, it's hilarious.
1: It's really funny.
0: I mean, the hero of Sanjuro isn't Sanjuro. It is the old lady, because she also yeah. triggers that change in him. Yeah, right. And we see it almost immediately. So they have the confrontation in in the um, barn, and he starts to see. Yeah, I, I don't need to be this warrior that I have been and then when he allows her to step on his back to walk to, yeah. to climb out of the courtyard um, like there is like a sense of him changing so that in the end instead of having the kind of all-out battle that you expect with in a movie like this we have you know the nine samurai versus a hundred thousand warriors and you have this blood on the floor and so this all ev- evolves around camellias of all things being floated yeah. down a river um, and it's really an anti-climax in a way, but the anti-climax works beautifully as a perfect climax for the evolution of these characters. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's... one of
1: the things I find really interesting um, is what you're talking about is the violation of conventions in these films. Um, and the fact that despite their, them being a sequel, like Sanjuro is a sequel to Yojimbo and made like literally like right after it, they're completely different films. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 both subvert the conventions of the samurai film, um, and there are certainly echoes. Like when he, you know, the the scene where he he gives his fake name is basically the same scene in both movies. The last line in both movies is the same last line, um, but they're not again what you expect. You know, I think you say, "Oh." You, Yojimbo, this, this character was so popular we better put him in another movie. You expect the second movie is basically going to be the first movie over again, right? That's that's what sequels are. Nope. Uh, he's recognizably the same character. But the story uh, is so different, despite picking up on a few key elements um, and despite being comic as well, that it could just as easy, you don't, you don't have to watch Yojimbo to watch Sanjura. Uh, Not that you have to watch, I guess, most films before you watch their sequels anyway but they're they're simultaneously linked but completely different movies
2: so i think the sanjuro was uh already in production when yojimbo was released uh or kurosawa was preparing for filming and yojimbo was such a success that he and his screenwriters more or less wrote Sanjiro character into Sanjiro, hmm. uh, and uh, initially Sanjiro was supposed to be just sort of a, a straight adaptation of the short story by an author named Shiguro Yamamoto entitled "Peaceful Days," and I, I get I suppose the screenplay was already completely written for the film, and they just kind of like changed one of the characters' names to Sanjuro so that they could capitalize on his, um, on the Yojimbo's uh, success. And Sanjuro actually was probably as a result of that, uh, a more successful film than Yojimbo uh, as far as how much it made at the box office, so to speak. So uh, arguable whether it's, Artistically more successful, or as successful as Yojimbo. I personally think Yojimbo is a far better film of the two, but um, they're both in, in incredibly good films. I mean, there's no there's no arguing that. I mean, you're, it's Kurosawa with Buffune, It's it's like <laughs> classic cinema. It's hard to um, it's hard to compare them, but um, as, as far as I I, I think. Watching Sandro, I think some of that maybe finds its way onto screen. That he was sort of interjected into the storyline a little bit. Uh, it, I and I tried to imagine watching that film without the Sandro character in it, and I can't imagine that it would be nearly as good a film as it is just on the basis of its storyline i'm sure it would have been an excellent film but when you add mifune to it and you add that character that he's already more or less created in yojimbo and refined and already found this character's you know voice and performance and then lends itself to that film it sort of elevates the movie beyond its you know mere mere uh, subject matter I think.
1: Do, do you know if Mifune was supposed to be in it before it was rewritten to bring San in as a character, or was was he brought in? He he is well brought in, specifically not just character.
2: Well, from what I understand, they had already you, Kurosawa had already you know optioned the short story. I believe he and his co-screenwriters had already drafted a screenplay, and then at that point, Yojimbo was released, uh, and it was such a success that. At that point, I think they just decided to place that character into the film and rewrote the script with Mufune's character in mind.
1: I'm just curious because he was working a lot with Mifune then anyway, so it's not a a question that Mifune could have been already scheduled for the film as a different character.
2: Oh, I understand. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I I don't know that as a matter of fact. It would make sense that he may have already been cast in a different role, or? Well, I know- um, We're in this, the same role, but not as Sanjiro. I'm sorry.
0: I know Kurosawa Tree. this as a more minor film. It only took him three months to film and one month to edit before he created, before he put together High and Low, which is the mu- movie that came immediately afterwards. So I think he was already plotting High and Low as his next major film. I think uh, based on, the, again, what I heard in the commentary, Um, Sanjuro was intended as more of a a fun project that he could put together relatively (laughs) quickly. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I think it does come across as lighter, right? I mean, Yojimbo is just a more intense watch. Uh, The Sanjuro is is the lone wolf in, in Yojimbo. He's caught between these two warring factions, which are dramatically at war with each other. And there's the larger story attached to Yojimbo, which is essentially around the evolution of um, Japan into a more modern society, the satire of the, the, the Yakuza, the commercialism of the society. Um, as we talked about before, um, there's a gun in the film, which is crucial to the kind of element of modernity coming into the society. So Yujimbo is, is very much like a social satire, whereas Sanjuro is more, that, that whole element is gonna kind of play down a lot more. It's also like a team story, right? It's the nine samurai plus Sanjuro together fighting this cabal that's creating this false story of corruption. And um, so the story is just a little lighter in that like it's not a war. It's really just this small little conspiracy that's aiming to create a war. And everyone else in Sanjuro is mostly good. Whereas almost everyone in Yojimbo is a bad person aside from the coffin maker and the restaurant uh merchant i like think everyone is actually evil in your jimbo in one way or another yeah
1: it's uh, and it's, sanjuro himself is comes across much more purely altruistic um uh, in sanjuro than he doesn't know jimbo i mean he has his moments like when he, he gives the 30 rio to the to the husband and wife to flee that suggests he's not just motivated um by self-interest but there's far less of that sense of him simply being the you know the the Shane kind of hero who comes into town and, and saves the day just because he's a good guy in, in Yojimbo than there is in Sanjuro, for sure.
2: There's also far less violence, I think, yeah. in Sanjuro than there is in Yojimbo. Yojimbo yo, just seems yo, like funny, a much- By
0: the way, on that, on that point, the body count is actually higher in Sanjuro. Oh, well. <laughs> like,
2: yeah, but, but, but anyway, I, I, think so, I
1: think, though, apart from the, the spectacular blood explosion, at the end yeah, right, um, right. of of of, of Sanjuro, um, the violence in in Sanjuro, you're right. There is a higher body count, but um, Yojimbo just seems like a much more brutal film. Yes, right. You get the uh, you get the you know the arm being cut off in that first confrontation. Um, right. You you get the scene where um, oh the one I'm forgetting which. Gang leader, it is. But he, when he basically loses, and his he, he comes running out, and his his he and his wife um, and his son are hacked down in the mm-hmm. street. That's 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 much more brutal than anything that we see than anything we see in in Sanjuro. Um, and yeah. although we don't get that, we do get that spectacular gush of blood out. One of the things that's interesting in, in Yojumbo is. It, the blood is often there in the background, right? Like you see, you see C.C. hacks the, the room of guys to pieces. And then when you get the shots later, you see the blood sprays like all over the wall. Um, or that scene after the two gangs have gone out of, the, and, and you know the, the, the town is charred and the bodies are lying in the streets, right? It's, it's much more apocalyptic, even though the body count is lower. It, it comes across as much more grim. It's much more like the way we see violence in like say, Ram, I think. Whereas in Ujimbo, it's it's there, but it's much more. Uh, it's lighter. It's I'm not sure it's quick, you know, like you know, Three Stooges level slapstick, but it's 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 uh, it's exciting, and it's fun to watch, um, but it doesn't have the same uh, grimness to it that, that you get in 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 your jimbo, I I think
2: it's not as visceral. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't hit you in the gut like it does in Yojimbo.
0: Yojimbo is a little bit of a punch in the gut. Yeah, I think it comes from the, just the, per, the just the pervasiveness of the evil in your Jimbo. Um, it does feel apocalyptic at the end. I agree. Uh, almost Shakespearean at the ending. At the end, where you know both sides are completely defeated by their kind of hubris and believing they were right.
2: It's funny yeah. you mentioned Shakespeare. There's a little little bit of a Lady Macbeth moment when they're yeah. when the wife is plotting his yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we could pay him the uh, twenty five rio and then we could pay him the twenty five rio when he's done, and then when he leaves, we'll we'll attack him and kill him and get our fifty rio back. <laughs>
1: yeah. She's she's actually I, this is something that I, I I don't know how many times I've watched this movie, but yeah. I don't think I'd noticed it until this time. In, you know, in the initial confrontation, where Sanjero's basically got the two gangs geared up and they're gonna like, fight each other in the street, right? And then he has this public, Noah, you're gonna betray me, screw you. I'm not gonna fight with you. And he goes and he climbs the bell tower and he's gonna watch. Yeah. Um, the wife is behind all the other warriors with a sword Beating them forward to make sure they don't run away. And I don't recall noticing that. I don't recall noticing Uh, that any other time that I've watched the movie. I Um, (laughs) know. But again, I caught that. Yeah, (laughs) that to me is the kind of thing that Kurosawa does so well. Everybody, and I think if you looked at any of them, you'd find the same thing. Everybody is doing something. They're not just there to fill up the screen.
2: Yeah, it's like in Uh, Seven Samurai You, you have all that activity on screen, and none of it is extraneous.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, oh, I the just two not... gangs are confronting each other in oh, the yeah. street. There's just a, such a sense of each of the individual personalities doing this for their own reasons. Yeah, and the, it's such a great set piece. I mean,
1: I, I love the way. Well, I, I I keep harping on the Kurosawa's consummate film technique, but the way he uses widescreen in that sequence. So you like there are the, the points where you can like just see the swords coming in on either side of the screen, and then they pull back.
0: <laughs> my god the use of widescreen in both these yeah. films is just astonishing yeah, and absolutely. i can throw in high and low too which you know yeah. you weren't part of our conversation but his use of widescreen in that film as well is is masterful mm-hmm. curious out uh, his control of everything
1: widescreen depth of focus again that's something that i was really um tripping not tripping over but just like uh, absorbing, watching, uh, especially uh, Yojimbo again, because again, your Sanjuro doesn't, I think isn't, isn't, as, is, isn't as technically complex, mm-hmm. but there are so many scenes where there, there are multiple levels where things are happening in the foreground, things are happening in the midground, things are happening in the background and they're staged so that, you know, um, in, in the restaurant, for instance, with, with when, when, the, when the blinds are up and there, the slats of the windows, the way the characters outside are set. So you have a character, you can see through this window and a character you can see through this window, and a character you can see through this window. They're also carefully placed, so you can always see them. You can always see what they're doing, um, but they're like in a different physical location. And the, you know, the deep focus and the, the oh, yeah. choreography—it's just unbelievably uh, meticulous and, and carefully worked there, out.
0: There's a shot in that very that early scene when he goes into the restaurant that you that I rarely see i can think of maybe two or three other films where i've seen it but every time i see it 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 strikes me as masterful where you're looking out through a window and you're seeing three different views at the same time yeah there's the guy building the coffins there's a conspiracy then there's um the the conversation in our foreground and you're getting three stories all at once it's um really you know the hitchcockian pure cinema element oh yeah where like you literally can't accomplish that, and well, maybe you can in comics, but it's very hard to accomplish it in the art form in that with that level of artfulness and it's such a masterful way of of creating this tension, but also this feeling of a larger world.
1: Yeah, and the film is also, I think, very self aware about it. Like the idea of watching is is really embedded. In the film, and one of the to me one of the most amusing yeah. scenes in the movie is when Saint is being carried out in the coffin, and it's like, wait a minute, what's going on over there? You have to stop and let me watch this.
0: Oh, that's so great because they that's they, they go game. part way and he yeah. can't see anything, and they go further, and all of a sudden we're seeing the battle yeah. happen in the background, yeah, and he's
1: peeking out of the coffin looking at it.
0: Oh,
2: <laughs> yeah, that was wonderful.
1: Yeah, but it, it draws, I think it draws our attention subtly, perhaps, and it draws our attention to the fact that that that's what we're doing too. Like we're voyeurs, right? Um, and there's that, that there's that very much that element that the scene when, uh, when the gun first appears, when, uh, when, Unsuke um, uh, is pulls the gun out, it's like, I, lo- I love it. You want to see something interesting, he says, and this gun comes out from inside of his, his robe. Um, and it's being watched from inside the restaurant. Right. And it's, it's 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 voyeuristic there's almost something like erotically charged about that pulling this phallic symbol out from inside your robe and saying hey look what i got you know um but that motif of uh of you know and and the scene you were talking about where you know in the restaurant the 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 design of the set even as part of that because it's set up so that from that location you can see all these different things all these different parts of the town Right. Uh, I also, I also love the fact that like the restaurant
2: and the coffin makers shops are like literally
1: next door to each other. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> in case the food's bad, you don't have Yeah, you, know, you, got,
1: uh, you go to the one place to get all, all you need about life and uh, you go next door when you're dead. It actually reminds you, this is, this is to- totally tangential, but um, in Chinatown in downtown Toronto, this is back when I was a student in the 19, uh, early 1980s in Chinatown next door to each other or, or so close to next door to each other that they they were basically next door to each other was the wing-on delicatessen and the wing-on funeral parlor.
2: <laughs>
1: I kid you not.
2: Uh it's like Bob's burgers.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, anyway. But yeah that that uh yeah it's uh the way that you can just watch Ujimbo especially over and over and over again, and, and be blown away by the meticulous construction of every shot is just, uh, it's a testament to Kurosawa's genius. And, you know, no, no, uh, no disrespect to Sanjiro intended, but that level of complexity is there. It's still very carefully and meticulously done, but it doesn't have, that to me, that level of uh, ingenious um, camera work and mise-en-scene.
2: Yeah, there's some, you know, Sinjiro like the very first scene where they're uh, having their meeting. Yeah. Uh, and each of the characters is, there's a portion through um, the wind, I believe they're windows. And yeah, each so, yeah. each of them is perfectly, yeah. almost like a cameo inside each of those windows, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just perfectly lined up. Um, and I believe it's that's like the first time you see them. Yeah. So it's sort of drawing you to these different personalities and making you focus on them and their faces and and familiarizing yourself with them. It's a really wonderful way of doing that. Uh, otherwise, you're just struck with all of these faces, you know, and you're supposed to just like process all of this information. It's just a, a, a really brilliant way. To, um, to introduce you to these characters. There's another scene later on where uh, it's Hanbei, which is played by Tatsuya Nakadai, who's mm-hmm. in five other. He's, he did five films with Kurosawa. I believe this was his first one, Sinjuro. Uh But he was in Kagamusha and and Ron, and he played the chief detective in High and Low, Jason. He's uh, in Sanjiro. so there's this wonderful scene where these two, uh, I believe you, you call them courtesans, they're washing their feet in the street yeah. and he comes into frame and then the camera, it's all in one shot, it's really just brilliant. The camera uh, goes up, kind of follows his perspective and he's looking off into the distance and the camera turns and you see that, uh, that building uh, in the distance through a little cut in the in the foliage. There's like a wall of, yeah. of um foliage and there's just this little like rounded cut in it. And you can see the building through it. It's all done in one seamless take. And and watching that, I mean, seeing that you realize just how much of a consummate master of cinema Kurosawa is. It's not very showy at all. If you weren't really paying attention, you may not even notice the technical skill that went into just framing that whole shot. And it doesn't last that long. It's maybe, I don't you know, know, five, 10 seconds long. It's just brilliant. And there's just, uh, so to give Sanjiro its, its credit, mm-hmm. And there are a number of scenes like that. I mean, where there's just, it, it's a bit more understated I think probably not as showy in in some instances as Yojimbo. So uh, I don't think Sanjuro is... um, uh, I I think it's impressive on a technical level, just as impressive on a technical level in many ways as Yojimbo is. It's just Just less showy to my mind. Just a bit, yeah, just a bit less showy. And a lot of that has to do, I think, also with the setting. I mean, the setting is a bit more formalized. It's in this kind of like feudal you know, uh center of town, whereas in Yojimbo, you're in this sort of like more western like uh, outpost type of village. So everything's a bit more rough hewn. Uh it's a it's got a bit more character, I think, just than than the, the settings that are in Sanjiro, which which are a bit more kind of like uh are less rustic looking.
0: I think Yojimbo feels more like uh us old west town right yeah showing the john john ford uh influence there Sanjuro is a little more urban feeling it's not a city but it's um a more of a pastoral setting i suppose
2: well it doesn't seem it doesn't Sanjuro to me does not seem like a western
0: no no but yojimbo i mean it's got classic confrontations on the on the street right
1: literally at high
2: noon
0: right right? (laughs) yeah yeah literally
2: and and it of course as we all know went on to inspire not one but two or three american westerns which are now considered you know among the best westerns ever made Fistful of Dollars. Well, oh no, let me correct that. One was not American; it was Italian. Italian.
0: <laughs> yeah. actually watched Fistful of Dollars to prep for this. It, it's right. striking how how much it's very close to a shot-for-shot shot remake in some ways, um, and how good Eastwood is in it. But how he's he's just not the uh, he's not even close to you know what what we get in these films. You know, he he's no Mifune. No. And I don't think that necessarily works to the negative of, the, of that film. Um, no, taken I, on its own terms, The Fistful, Adol- Fistful of Dollars is, is a great movie too. It is a great film, yeah. Incredibly enjoyable. I mean, I think the three movies in the trilogy get better as they go along. Um, but it's yeah. certainly an excellent film. Another was I, the,
1: was it in the 1980s? Eric, you might know, The Last Man Standing, Walter Hill's remake of it with
2: uh, Bruce Willis. 1994? Was it I, something like that, mid nineties?
0: I didn't touch it.
2: Have either of you seen it? I, I know I saw it,
1: and I don't remember disliking it. But I also, to be honest, don't remember feeling any particular compulsion to watch it again.
2: I'm, yeah, I'm the same. I saw it in in theaters. I, I think it came out just on the heels of a much better Walter Hill western called Wild Bill with uh, Jeff Bridges. Which
1: I yeah, I'd Walter really Hill seen. made some great movies, but I don't think Damn. Last Man Standing
2: was really one of them. No, it was, it was, I mean, it was technically, it was, you know, on par with his other films because he is a great technical filmmaker as well, Mm. Uh, but the storyline didn't really attract me. I didn't think Bruce Willis was convincing as a Western anti-hero, so... It didn't. Like it didn't other really words,
0: work. I've never seen that. Okay, so I wouldn't.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that you that need right. to be in any hurry to go watch it. No, but you know, it's not. It's not. It's not a bad movie. But you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go start watching Walter Hill films, it'd be fairly far down the list. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that.
2: Um, I think that Toho ended up suing, uh, Sergio Leone over the.
1: I believe so. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And again, I think part of that has to do with the fact that in some cases it was literally shot by shot it yeah,
0: yeah it, it was literally shot for shot I mean the the beating scene and the recovery from the beating scene are very close to the same thing for example and um, that's a scene to me that might be the key to the film in terms of Centro's um, involvement in in the storyline you know throughout your Jimbo it feels like uh, Sanjuro's really kind of trying to decide what he wants to do he seems to be playing one side against the other aside from the scene where he encourages that family to run away from the town he seems very ambivalent about what's going on there and it's only when he gets so badly beaten up that he feels like he has now a stake in what's going on wants to get involved and just wants to blow up all this shit that's caused him so much pain uh, you know and i i had to wonder if Um, You know, he felt like he chose the wrong path at the very beginning of the movie. He should have gone the opposite way of where the stick landed because um, (laughs) look at the shit that happened, you know?
1: That's actually, that's interesting because that that scene where he walks into the town and the dog runs by with the the hand in its mouth. We were talking earlier about the, the look on his face then. Every time I watch that scene, I think, he's thinking about turning around and just walking out of here. You know, he's like, what the hell have I just stepped into? Um, but he makes the decision not to, right? So let me ask you this, Dom, then why do you think he stays? Well, that's I, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I do think that there, when, he, when he goes into the restaurant and he has the, the dialogue and he, he says something to the effect of, a lot of people in this town deserve to be killed. Um, Great line. <laughs> but it's, I think... It, it's it's not it's not altruistic, right? It's not I'm gonna I'm not gonna save these uh, these townspeople from these gangsters. It's these guys are scumbags and they deserve to die. But he doesn't set himself up to clean house. He basically he basically sets himself up as as, as a catalyst to get them to wipe each other out, right? That's the first thing that he tries to do, uh, and then it blows up when when the when the when the when the you know the uh, agent from from Edo comes. Um, but because by that, that point he's you know sort because of because that's
0: why he climbs up the tower and basically yeah. says okay you guys beat each other up." yeah exactly you and him fight yeah <laughs> so let, let's quote. you and him fight yeah let's <laughs> you and him fight
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it's um so he's 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 a manipulator right uh early in the film um but I, th- I think he's partly motivated by his recognition that, you know, these, these are, these are douchebags. Um, but he's not sort of, he's definitely not like, you know, the hero riding into town to, to clean up, to clean it up. Right. Um, he's, he's there by complete chance. His decision to stay is not really cast in terms that, that suggests morality. Right. You know, um, a lot of people in this town deserve to die, but on the other hand, you know, the, but one of the first things that happens is, is 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 the constable. I'm talking about another great comic performance. Like the, the guy playing the constable is hilarious. Um, hey, you know, you can make some nice money working for one of these guys, and all you have to do is give me a commission for recommending you, right? Oh, all right. So maybe there is some profit here. Um, the scene, the, this I think the scene where he basically or he throws the 30 Rio at the feet of the the husband and wife and says, take the money and get out of here. That marks a key transition between his essentially selfish motivations earlier in the film, um, and a greater commitment to, you know, a principle of, of of justice. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, that that's complicated by the fact that, you know, that also then gets him in trouble, right? That's what leads to him being, uh, uh, caught and, and pummeled. I love the 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 giant too. I mean that, that, that scene where he first oh, yeah. confronts the gang and the huge guy with the hammer and like and Fune is like walking around looking at them and he does this like little double take. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah the, the look giant. on
1: his face. Brilliant. Um <laughs> but so you know what happens uh, there yeah. is he, he basically you know goes out of his way to try to do something altruistic and nearly gets beaten to death as a result of it.
0: Uh
1: to the point that I mean, he literally ends up hiding in a coffin, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you know that provides a more complex motivation for him coming back at the end. It's not just I'm going to come and clean up the town. It's I'm going to I'm going to get revenge, right, for what was done to me. Um, so he's he's not nearly as uh, you know simple. I think uh, a hero um, as as he comes across as being in in Sanjuro, right? I mean, at Sanjuro, that decision is very early in the film, right? He overhears the guys and he comes out and he says, you guys are idiots. I love that. Even there, like the the, the first appearance emerging from the darkness, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, you guys are idiots. You're going to, the, the, you, know, you clearly haven't understood the situation. And then he saves their bacon and he makes the decision then when they said there's just nine of us. And he says, no, 10, right? He's got no skin in this game. He could walk away right then. Uh, but it's, it's much more obviously in that film, I think, a moral decision as opposed to like, a, you know, an economic or a voyeuristic decision.
2: So his motivations are sometimes inscrutable. Yeah. You think that, that, the, that the character is not given really any background. You don't even know his name. Yeah. His name's made up. Uh, all you know is that he's 30 years old. Right, because that's what said well closer to,
1: closer to forty. No, but he yeah. says he so, yeah, right, 40,
2: right, <laughs> right. And and uh, and he
0: uh, uh, he actually, Bufuni actually was about forty at the time.
2: Right. So that allows or uh, gives the filmmakers then a little leeway in how his uh, and what because you don't know what his motivations are. And basically, all that you know about him are his actions. Yeah, uh, that that allows the character more um, liberty, more freedom to behave in a way that maybe is not. If you knew something of his background, you would expect him to act a certain way, possibly. Yeah, and, and the he, and fact that is- you don't uh, makes his actions as. Um, unforeseeable or as unpredictable as they can be, uh, more believable?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's it also I think it, it, it adds a huge layer of interest for us as audience as well, right? He's just, he's, he is, from one perspective, a blank slate. But Mifune's performance is so nuanced that he's clearly not a blank slate. He's not an automaton. He's not a robot. Uh, there's stuff in there uh, which comes out in tiny facial gestures, right? Uh, tiny facial movements and, and, and gestures. Um, but we don't get we don't get monologuing. We don't get you know him telling his his backstory. We don't get that that thing that I hate so much in so much contemporary film where we spend so much time listening to characters emote and, and you, know, you know angst about their their feelings. It's, it's all there in the perf- in in the physical performance. Um, but we have to infer. You know he's
0: he's uh, a Ronin he had yep. been a samurai. He's scruffy. He's got a beard, which is dramatically out of fashion for the time. His clothes right. are scruffy. Um, and you, in Sanjuro, there's a lot of points where he's you know, shown as being lazy or wanting to take a nap or just wants to eat, right? Yeah. So he's yeah. portrayed as seeming selfish. At the same time, we get the sense there's a lot that's happened in his past. Right.
1: Well, why, there's is a way he,
0: to- why is he masterless? Why is he the, the one of the few uh, samurai who's actually a swordsman in this time period too? Um, you know, he's um, he's just a, this mi- complete mystery that we just get little glimpses of and that makes him so intriguing. Mm-hmm. To your point, yeah. Dom, like we don't know anything really about him. And um, in that mystery, we just can see so much. I mean, it, do we need to know everything about him or do we just need to know who he is at that point in time to make the story effective? <laughs>
2: Well, it's yeah. interesting to compare it to how Kurosawa hand, handled uh, the samurai and say the seven samurai. Yeah. Where they were only given kind of a sketchy backgrounds. I mean, I, I believe you you get some background here and there. Like, for example, Mifune's character, you know, the, he's given some background uh, in a scene. He's just sort of portrayed as this kind of buffoon right until he's given a bit more levity once you find out that he has this backstory and that these things happen in his past and uh this this baby is me yeah right yeah right so that's it's interesting, interesting that i'm sorry no go ahead no it's fine i, I made it.
1: i was just going to say that you know the the closest thing we come to that and that's sort of an explanation is actually at the end um of senjuro when he when he faces off against moroto um, and the, 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 nine samurai are like, Oh, you're so awesome. And he basically, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, he was just like me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and what do we know about Murado? On the one hand, we know that he's a tiger as opposed to a kitten, that he actually does have the chops as a samurai, but we also know that he's been very forthright. You know, I'm a bad man. Right, I'm I'm plotting against my my master, right? yeah. you know, in, in the in the scene where 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 the two of them have uh, have the sake. Uh, so you know, if 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 we're to take Sanjuro at his word at the end, he's just like me. That hints that you know there's there's you know maybe uh, maybe some pretty seamy stuff that explains why he's a Ronin, why he's masterless. Uh, you know, why, he, why he's out there and maybe why he is cavalier about some of the, you know, the traditions and, and the expected behaviours, but also maybe why he finds himself compelled in both films, ultimately, to act, alt- to act not out of selfishness, um, but out of a, you know, a more abstract concept of justice. Um, with with you know yojimbo being the much darker one i mean i find myself watching yojimbo thinking yeah i suppose that by the end of this this town is better off than it was before but i still know that i'm not 100 percent sure of that i mean it's uh the you know the, the scene where the coffin maker is like when there's this many bodies they don't bother with coffins you know this this town has uh yeah is it going to survive you know um, so that, you know, that moment at the end of, of Sanjuro where he's like, he was just like me, we're both unsheathed swords, uh, hints at a backstory,
0: tantalizing uh, tantalizingly, I would suggest. It's interesting that the, the two, uh, key oppositions, I guess you can say in each film were played by the same actor, Nakadai. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And um, they do feel like they are meant to be in opposition to each other. Not necessarily mirror images, but certainly opposition to each other. And we talked already about modernity versus classic um, culture in Yojimbo. Sanjuro, the contrast is different. They're both relatively refined, they both have these complex paths. Um, but and they're also kind of manipulating each other. They're they're both kind of men out of time. I mean, Nakadai also chooses to fight with a dull edge of the sword.
1: Yeah, yeah. In the scene where he's uh, capturing the the idiot younger samurai, yeah.
0: Um. So I just think it's it's interesting to see the the um. I don't know. I'm not sure what what Kurosawa is getting at with that, but I think it's an interesting push pull between the two of them in each of the films.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that I love that he does is he keeps on subverting our expectations, right? I mean, I think we all know that we're going to have to have a, con- you know, a, a final confrontation between Moroto and and, Moroto and, and Sanjuro in, in, in Sanjuro, right? Um, and it, it's, it's, it's actually almost even staged in a way that is so obvious, right? Like the nine young guys run after him and there he is coming around the corner and then Moroto just comes out of nowhere, right? Why is he there? <laughs> Because he has to be, the the dynamic demands it. But what do we get? We get Santura saying, I don't want to fight with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we do this, one of us is going to die. Uh, And it's fairly clear from the dialogue that he's by no means certain that he's the one who's going to survive, right? because he says, but whatever happens, don't do anything to these guys. If you kill me, let them go. and even the the, the you know the, the final confrontation, it's like, boom, it's over in literally a split second. Yeah, you know, uh, all of that is um, really interesting. Uh, but again, it, it 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 renders the the character very complicated, right? He's not looking for this confrontation. He's not trying to prove anything, right? He's willing to walk away from it. Uh, and let his, 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 his mirror image, his alter ego, just go, right? Uh, but you know, Murdo insists on that uh, on, happening, and then you get that just amazing uh, slice, gush, drop. <laughs> Again, like 1962, you don't see stuff like that in movies in the early 1960s.
0: I don't think you could do that in the American film.
1: No, you certainly not. Certainly not in a, in a. In a. You might be able to do it like you know a grindhouse, uh, you know Roger Corman style film. You know uh, who was his name? I forget his name.
0: Herschel uh, Gordon Lewis.
1: Yeah, someone like him. But it was, it was it was even he doing stuff in the early nineteen sixties.
2: I I don't recall seeing anything remotely close to this pre Lady Snowblood. Yeah, at least in Japanese cinema.
1: Yeah, it's, and it's I know. Really...
2: Quentin Tarantino has turned it into a uh, a signature feature yeah. of his films.
0: Well, I guess it became a cliche of Japanese cinema after this film. The right, I well, I, I, yeah.
2: I uh, the Lone Wolf and Cub series utilizes yeah. that spray of blood quite a bit. So okay, I haven't very seen, brutal. Only seen one of those, I think. Yeah. Um, do you think Sanjuro has a death wish, Dom?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I don't, I don't think he does. Uh, he, yeah, he could, and I mean, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't argue against anyone who, who made the case, but I think if he did have a death wish, uh, he wouldn't have had that conversation. He wouldn't have said, look, I, I don't wanna have this fight with you. I'd rather just walk away. I'm only gonna have this fight if you insist. Right? Um, he, didn't, he didn't look for it. Now, that said, he's not unwilling to face death. Uh, but it, it, actually, from that point of view, there's that, 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 that lovely moment where uh, you know, he rescues the four idiots by killing the entire room full of warriors. And he says, oh, you screwed up my plans. It's the only one you have to tie me up. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then his explanation for why he wasn't killed is I'm not obligated to die for you. I'm just an employee, right? I have no, on, I have no, I'm not honor bound um, to give up my life, uh, which is, yeah, it's a high risk move, right? But I find that interesting, you know, how, how much is that true when he says that? Yeah. Despite the fact that it's, it's obviously a manipulation. It's, it's his way of trying to rationalize why he isn't dead, but is it also true? You know, I'm not willing
0: to die for for you for this cause i think he set himself up to be morally obligated to be part of the cost by the end
1: yeah yeah
0: okay sure he is he despite himself he's become committed to the cause
2: if he's not honor bound then what other motivation does he have
0: i guess i'm implying yeah. the honor is creeping upon him that it he he um it's maybe an allusion to his past he he is feeling the 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 bushido kind of flow in, within him yeah but it's it's not like it's not like clan loyalty it's not something that's
1: demanded of him by yeah. his relationship with this group it's a choice he's made
2: mm-hmm. and again um, we get back into the theme of existentialism yeah in these kurosawa films from this period which was so prevalent in say seven samurai or akiru I that think it's, that been it's more... an act that he's making this active choice, like independent of any other possible influence. He's just, his actions are his actions. He's choosing to take them.
0: So just throwing it out there, but does this represent um, his growth throughout the film? Is he's been persuaded by the old woman and kind of charmed or uh, become loyal to the nine samurai who were his friends and that then caused him to kind of feel some i don't know what to call it nostalgic uh bushido impulse towards them
2: it's a really good question
0: yeah it's certainly not impossible
1: you know uh it's this is this goes back to something we've been talking about for almost i think you know, the last 20 minutes though is the uh the absence of you know monologuing, the absence mm-hmm. of you know, characters endlessly talking about why they're doing what they're doing creates this uh, very rich uh, ambiguity about why he's doing what he's doing. Um, and, you know, we can we can point to different scenes and different things that he says and and, and, and infer from them. Uh, but I, I always tell myself, wondering when I'm doing that, am I making the inferences that I'm making because that's what I want it to be? <laughs> like is it it say more about me than it says about the character (laughs) you know what i mean
2: yeah well and that's a way of keeping you in the film right yeah so if you have all of this and and i agree with you i I, i'm tired to death of all the monologuing and and expositional dialogue that happens uh in in virtually everything nowadays it seems like it's so much more engrossing when you're uh just watching the characters uh, uh behave and reading their motivations through their choices and what it is that they choose to do yeah and rather than have them ruminate and reflect ad nauseum it it takes you out of the film in a way it's like okay now i was it's like you're reading a novel and you're you're extremely into it and then you decide to like go look at the cliffs notes or something, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it's the, the equivalent to that because cinema is so, you know, uh, cinema is such a, um, particularly like when you're in the theater, the lights are low, like you're transported, you're supposed to become like involved emotionally yeah. in yeah. the film. And that to me, it seems, uh, is one of the Uh, things that kurosawa does so wonderfully is that he's able to um, express ideas or um, illustrate characters through their actions yeah through their speech Uh, not speech in the sense of monologues but like through the vocal inflections or through their body language things like that because he understands that cinema in order to be Uh, You know, in order to stay within the moment and to be engrossed in the film, you can't have all this constant taking yourself out of the action and stopping and ruminating over what's happened. Yeah, A Kurosawa film is so extraordinary in that sense. And and one of the ways that he's able to do this, uh, Jason, as, say, Hitchcock is able to do this, is that he structures the films so... uh uh, precisely that there's no uh a a moment uh of um there's no extraneous moments in the film everything is uh perfectly keyed every it's it's like a it's like a it's like a a symphony uh to sort of draw out the the uh comparison but uh in in a symphony you have all of these different changes and all of these different things happening and yet it's still of a piece um, and that's that's what he does so incredibly. So I keep going back to uh with Kurosawa uh with his films is that um his his part of the reason his films are so compelling is because they're very active. Uh yeah. every scene leads perfectly into the next scene, and there's no element in it that doesn't lend itself to the greater whole of the film. Yeah, everything is building. All of the pieces are building into that uh, overarching. Um, uh, how shall I say it? The integrity of the whole. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's true. I think
2: it's really brilliant how he's able to do that. One thing I'm I'm kind of curious about. And I did want to touch on it uh, before we finished up. Was there was there is some belief that Yojimbo was inspired at least in part by a dashel hammett novel uh yeah i read that somewhere red harvest red
1: harvest yeah
2: red um, harvest yeah. yeah and i wondered if you guys thought that there was any truth in that I, I it there's some dispute i mean some some people believe that it was inspired by red harvest i don't know that curacao has ever gone on record as saying it was and there are certain critics like there's a uh, a renowned Kurosawa critic named Donald Ritchie who believes that it's just coincidental, uh, the plot of Red Harvest and the plot of Yojimbo.
1: I, you know, that's I, 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 I came across a reference to that myself, and I thought I've read Red Harvest, but it's so long ago that all I remember about it um, is basically the 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 nameless because it's the Continental office like his nameless detective goes to some town as part of some investigation and a bunch of stuff happens. So I, am in no position to comment on whether there are sufficient similarities between the two for it to to be a case or not. Um, But I actually was thinking when I just came across this, this week was maybe I should dig in my copy of red harvest and and read it and (laughs) see, but I I couldn't tell you.
2: Well, he, it, it, to, to, uh, to Maybe to throw people off, Kurosawa did uh, eventually admit that there was some inspiration by Hammett, but uh, it wasn't Red Harvest. It was actually the Glass Key, and which the also film, were, the film version, right? The film version of the, the film Glass version, Key. Yeah, there, there's <laughs> so muddying the waters a bit. <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. I mean, there is,
0: and there's no question the Glass Key is the influence because that is a well-known influence, especially on the beating scene.
2: Yeah right and that that film was also and and i believe the novel as well were both uh, an influence on the coen brothers film miller's crossing
1: i believe so yeah
2: right um it's interesting that i'm sorry i'm just curious what your opinion is well i i can definitely see some I, i i i love Hammett, so i've read Uh, Red Harvest several times so I'm I'm familiar with it. Uh, There are some basic similarities because it is like Dom said it's this like nameless protagonist who comes into this town and the town is more or less split between these two opposing criminal factions. Uh, There's gambling you know there's uh, warfare taking place the continental op is playing one side against the other but that happens in the glass key too you know uh hammett was he knew a good story when he had one and he wasn't afraid to reuse to retell it, it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, and you know this isn't
0: so. an unusual plot in this right this is probably a relatively universal concept for a work of art Two warring yeah. factions. The the stranger comes in and is gets trapped in the middle of the of the argument. It's shame know, that, too. It's
2: shame. Yeah. 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 So it is. It it is kind of like broad enough that I think you could say, well, you know, maybe there's some influence there, but I don't know that specifically. It's it's a you know, as people have come to believe, like was influenced by. It's hard to say. It's another example of Kurosawa utilizing a Western influence making what is a purely Japanese film <laughs> and then that influencing non-Japanese uh, films that came after. Uh, so again, another example, like as with like uh, Seven Samurai of um, this wonderful cross-pollination between cultures that's taking place.
0: Yeah, or Throne of Blood, right? Where he's taking Shakespeare's he's transforming it into his own thing we're seeing this through through a different perspective and it has a uniquely Japanese power to it.
2: Right. Right, well, these are like, you know, these are fairly like broad human themes, right? That are apparent in every culture. Like every culture has greed, every culture has crime, (laughs) every culture has lust, every culture has avarice, all of these things that uh, make us human.
0: and a mysterious stranger yes (laughs) who who, (laughs) right you don't know anything about who becomes who disrupts the culture and then often departs and he becomes this myth
2: it does the character does kind of have like this legendary feel about him doesn't he
0: yeah because we know so little about him we can project so much into him absolutely right Well, let's, let's sum up, I guess. Uh, I thought these were wonderful movies.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Ujimbo is probably my third favorite Kurosawa. And Senjuro is great.
0: And the other two are Seven Samurai, Samurai and Ikuro. Yeah. yeah.
2: All from, what, like roughly a four-year period? Pretty,
1: pretty tight there. I mean, I, there are yeah. other ones that I love, but it's interesting for me that so many of my favorites are clustered
2: yeah it's it's um he had like this uh, you know i i I see this a lot with artists where they have this particularly like with poets you know they have this this moment where they're just firing on all cylinders Mm -hmm. and they're just like pure brilliance like bob dylan for example from like 62 to about 66 (laughs) you know and and you think about like that body of work, it's just like so enormous, and it just seems endless. And then you realize, wow, he did that all within like a four year period. It's 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 amazing, you know. And Kurosawa seemed to have that. Um, he seemed to have that moment where his artistry just came together. And you know, maybe it lasted a little bit longer. It's probably about a decade. But you know, really, you could look at it from like. You know, Brishoman from like 1950, and then all the way up until the Yojimbo or Sanjuro. That's 10 years, and in that time period, he made Throne of Blood, he made Seven Samurai, he made Akira, he made Hidden Fortress, The Bad Sleep Well. I mean, just like an incredible body of work. And it was after Sanjuro that he really, and then High and Low came out right after Sanjuro, right? Yep. Uh, a year after that one of my favorite kurosawa films and then his career just yeah it is it's it's unbelievable i mean you look at it it's like 57 throne of blood lower depths 58 hidden fortress 60 bad sleep well 61 yojimbo 62 sanjiro 63 high and low it's just like it's amazing it's really amazing that the body of work that he created in that short a time and he must have just been going from one project to the next and not, you know, looking back, not stopping.
0: So was it after yeah. Redbeard that he went to Hollywood and sold Torah Tora, Torah Tora and had this terrible experience? That kind of shattered him for a couple of years?
2: Yes, yeah, and Redbeard was also the last film that he did with Mifune. Yeah. And didn't they have a falling out?
1: Yeah, yeah from what I understand, the film took so long to make. Uh, that Mifune basically resented that he was tied up for that long and that it led to a, a, a breach between that I believe was never really uh, healed.
2: Well, clearly they didn't work together again after that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, uh, also I don't think it helped that Redbeard, fine as it is, is far from Kurosawa's best work.
2: No, so really these two films kind of like represent the last great hurrah of that incredible, uh, collaboration between Yasawa yeah. and Mifune.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: <laughs> Just wraps as good a place as any to say wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to talking about more of them from the Golden Absolutely. Era. Because there are at least a half dozen more that I'm really anxious to watch. Thank you, gentlemen. This is amazingly fun and interesting as always.
1: Thank Thanks you. A lot. I really enjoyed it. Take care, guys. Oh, thank you.